Hello from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh. It's been Yomin Rose and Gedali Gutentag with Mishpachah's Home Front, a series covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Binyamin. How is it over there in the capital? It's still very quiet. A uh, lot less people on the streets uh, than I'm used to. But yesterday, I was running some errands that I normally run that uh, the time of day takes me half an hour, 35 minutes to get home, and I made it home in half the time. Uh, I'm probably one of the first times that I'm not happy that there's no traffic because I realize it's for a reason. And uh, the reason is that people are just staying indoors and staying safe, which is good. But we have to be able to get around again. So may we all be stuck in Yerushalmi traffic, Bimhira. So three things, Binyamin, on top of the news, which we're going to discuss in this uh, short episode, all I think connected. Number one, the developing, what I think, think of as the Gaza hospital blood libel and the connected collapse of Israeli Israel's Hasbara or a failure, total failure of Israel's PR effort. Number two, Joe Biden's visit, which is now ongoing and resultant pressure on Israel. And number three, confusion around strategy, Israeli strategy at the highest levels, leading to the question, will there even be a Gaza operation? So over to you, Binyama, we're going to discuss item number one, the Gaza hospital blood libel. What I'd say is that the, this is the PR disaster that has come even faster than we had thought and feared. Before the IDF has done any serious fighting on Gaza soil, what was the mass casualty event uh, at a Gaza hospital last night has shown the battle, media battle that we're up against. What, what are your thoughts on that? It's unfortunate. One of the things I wrote in my article for the magazine this week that uh, the readers will uh, get to is one of the fellows who uh, was interviewed mentioned that Israel really needs to be out there and out front when something happens. For example, uh, when the AP building was bombed during the last Gaza campaign, it took uh, the IDF a long time, much longer than expected in order to basically tell people, listen, this was a building that we did bomb in that case because it housed uh, Hamas intelligence assets. In this particular case, the IDF was not operating close. It was clear from the initial video that came out, the damage was not caused by any kind of aerial bombing. And uh, it took hours in order for us to get the message out. By then, uh, Hamas uh, had already, uh, considering their experts in propaganda, had already put their version of events out there. We have to understand that these people are going to lie. They're going to use anything they can for propaganda against us. And we have to be prepared to counter it immediately and with facts. I'd add to that, Benjamin. In fact, you raised that, the AP building thing. And I, I thought at the time, the disaster then in the PR strategy actually goes beyond the fact that the response. Israel initiated that strike. It knew they were striking a building in which there was both Hamas intelligence assets and the AP, right? An international media outlet. They knew, therefore, that this is going to cause an uh, unbelievable uproar. They should have had all their cards lined up, everything lined up to say as soon as they hit strike, as soon as the Apache or whatever it was fired the missile to take down the building, they should have been sending out. There should have been a concurrent media campaign saying, these are the facts. And yet it didn't happen. And that's what I pointed out at the time. But what we see over here, Benjamin, just look at what happened last night. We had the official IDF response within, a, I don't know, within half an hour coming from the IDF spokesman, which he says that we're checking it. And then it was about 12 hours later in which we have all the videos and stuff. But what could have happened, what should have happened was that they fire back straight away with their own narrative saying, of course, we're checking this. But let's point out that 40% of the launches from are coming from Gaza, fall short. They regularly kill people. They regularly kill innocents. We're a democracy, et cetera, et cetera. They are a bunch of liars. Yet none of that 
none of that. And that leaving them levels at the open playing field has led the way to them to shape the narrative. That blood libel is up and running. We will never live this down, in my opinion. It's also very likely that the casualty count has been exaggerated. We have no way of determining that. But again, we have to understand that this is going to happen throughout this campaign. And we just have to be a lot sharper and a lot more willing to come out and say that this is Hamas propaganda and that you shouldn't be believing and taking at face value anything that a terrorist organization says. Right. What do you think of the absence of Bibi from this? Because he, he is and remains Israel's most visible, most powerful media expert and, and someone who, when he gets up there, he gets an audience. This is the type of thing he, he could be and should be front and center. He was absent. I think he's probably tied up with the Biden visit and uh, preparing for that. Okay. Well, I think that's a neat segue into that. By, thank you for that, Benjamin, into the Biden visit. Point two. He's now landed. Bibi and the President Herzog have been off to the airport to meet him. What is now clear that is on his agenda? What is he going to say and where does this leave us? One of the things I heard yesterday was that Biden is going to ask Israel some tough questions, basically questions I think that should be asked. What are your goals? What are you planning to do in this campaign? What do you see as the end game? And of course, the U.S. is very concerned about the humanitarian situation in Gaza. In which order all of these ideas are going to come up, we don't know yet. As we're speaking, Biden just landed and the meeting's just beginning in Tel Aviv. I'm hoping that by now Netanyahu has answers and he can give Biden a pretty good idea of what Israel has in mind and what the end game should be. And he should tell him very clearly the end game is to do exactly what we said we're going to do all along, is that we're going to destroy Hamas militarily and politically and make sure that when all this is said and done, that they are not the rulers in Gaza. That's an interesting thing because the way this uh, visit has been covered, I'm just looking at Ynet, which is idiot, in which they're phrasing it in that if it turns out that Israel, in fact, was not responsible for this strike on the hospital, then Joe Biden is going to give the go-ahead for the Gaza operation, the blessing, as, as it were. So, I mean, if, if that phrasing, if that framing is correct, then it shows, does it not? This is unprecedented. Israel is trying to uh, defend itself, and yet it shows that Israel is therefore, to a large degree, dependent on the operational go-ahead of the U.S. president in order to go ahead and do what it needs to do to defend itself. Does that make sense to you, that framing? It makes sense that that's the way things have been, that Israel always seems to ask the U.S. permission rather than say, this is what we need to do. What I'd like to see Netanyahu ask, and what I'd like to see happen is to ask him, what do you plan on doing about Oas, the head of the PA? What do you plan about doing with Jordan, who canceled uh, the meeting with you? No matter what's going on, here, we kept our meeting with you. They canceled it. They walked away from it. Shouldn't there be a price to pay on their end? I haven't seen that. If anything, what I saw is that Blinken called Abbas this morning and he basically expressed his condolences over the deaths in the hospital, if there really were any. And I don't see anything out there to show that these people who canceled their meeting with the president of the United States is going to pay a price for it. And I think they should be made to pay a price. I think there's a third point over here, Binyama, which is a kind of confusion, which I detect, and I think many people are detecting in, in the highest levels of Israeli strategy. Not that we're, you and I sitting in our home front are not necessarily privy to that, but our colleague, Avi Bloom, who writes our Knesset channel, was telling me last night, we was in conversation with Israeli cabinet ministers, and they were in the dark as to the plans. And they said, they gave a sense of, of the confusion that's there at the top ranks. To, to the extent that it's not at all clear that there will, in fact, be a, a Gaza operation. Do you see that that is a possibility that Israel could actually just fail to do what has been promising to do the last 10 days? 
I'm not sure that it can back off right now after what they've already promised the people. Everyone is expecting some kind of campaign and expecting us to go in to Gaza in some way, shape or form. Uh, whether or not we really have to send 100,000 troops into Gaza and risk that many lives, and I'm talking about our lives now. So these are military questions, and these are things that the military has to answer. They have to come up with a strategy in a way to clean up the Hamas infrastructure without risking so many lives. And one of the ways to do it, I think, is uh, the way they've been trying to do it up till now, to try to force the people in Gaza who live in the north to go to the south. And perhaps that will be the safe zone that they set up so that they can get food, water, and uh, humanitarian assistance. And in the meantime, the turf will be clear for Israel to come in and take care of what needs to be done. Is that their plan? Are we going to see that? We have to see some version of it. And that might even be preferable to sending in, again, tens of thousands of troops and risking a lot of lives. You know, and I'm going to end with a, a very short, bright spot over here, because as we said yesterday, there's a lot of doom and gloom. I want to just point out that perhaps it's time to start compiling an official list of Israel's true friends, because there are true friends out there. There's, there's someone, a congressman, I think he's Richie Torres from New York, in which th this is a man who is self-declared progressive and who stood by Israel in uncompromising terms. And I think just to echo the call that more, our colleague, Maury Litwack, in his column this week, in his uh, Holes of Power column, he said, if you have our friends in the political world, our true friends, when they speak up for us, we need to thank them. We need to write to them. We need to say thank you. They appreciate that and it gives them more strength. That's the bright spot. There are friends and such friends. And so if we want to use this platform to thank Richard Torres and others like him who have stood up uh, for Israel in his time of need. Thank you so much. Benjamin, we'll meet again tomorrow. And hopefully with better news.